Welcome to the Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast. I'm your host, Lupna, also known as the Action Accelerator, and I'm flying solo today. The Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast is a weekly podcast where we give you insight into the personality of successful sushi-adoring entrepreneurs, showing you that success is all about having fun in and with your business without the hustle and the grinding. And do we have another sushi-adoring entrepreneur for you today? It is the amazing Rebecca Saltzman. Rebecca is a personal organization expert who helps individuals and small businesses organize streamline and automate their lives. Rebecca holds a degree in fashion design from Parsons School of Design and for many, many years worked as a graphic designer. Rebecca's passion for the environment and helping people improve their lives drove her to change careers and create Balagan Be Gone. I'm hoping I pronounced that correctly. Rebecca's straightforward approach to managing stuff and her no-nonsense ability to get to the heart of what is important, combined with her people skills, help people get control of their lives through the power of organization. By helping her clients streamline everything from clothing, papers, books, and household goods, they have found that they get the most out of their possessions and stress less about managing all. Can we relate to that, all of that stuff? Rebecca uses her professional design skills to help her clients create organized and beautiful spaces for themselves and their families. Rebecca, welcome to the Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast. Thank you, Lubna, for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Me too. (laughs) Now, let's get this party started with the most important question of the podcast. What's your favorite sushi and why? Okay, so my favorite sushi is tuna mango with (gasps) brown rice inside out. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. (laughs) Oh, I've never heard of sushi with brown rice before. Oh, yeah. It's not so common here in Israel where I live. It's really hard to find. Tuna mango is also a really hard combination. I've been living here for six years and I had it for the first time here two weeks ago and I was so excited. And the reason that they put mango on the menu here is because we're actually having an avocado shortage. (laughs) So avocados are not really in season here and they're not so good right now and they're really expensive. So I guess they put on the mangoes, which are in season here, and they're so juicy and delicious. And with the tuna, it just brings out this amazing, amazing flavor. And it's so, so, so good. Oh, I'm salivating right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. So what makes this your ideal combination in a sushi? I think it's because it's like, it's sweet, but it's also savory at the same time. And I really love that combination of the two together. I don't know. I mean, there are other sushis that I like, obviously, because I haven't been able to eat that one in a long time. So (laughs) I have to eat something else, right? But like, just that one, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. There's something about the texture of the tuna that goes really, really well with the texture of the mango. It's like, because the tuna is really firm and the mango is sort of soft. So you get like this, like, 
I don't know, al dente kind of sushi. <laughs> I don't really know how to describe it, but it's like... <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I have to say that when I don't go for sushi, but I go for a poke bowl, I choose bran rice as the base. And there's always mango in there. Yeah, and good. either salmon or tuna, but I like tuna more, to be fair, because there's something about that texture that... Yeah, it's, it's like it's more firm. Difficult. Exactly. But yeah. it's also tastier if that makes any sense i don't know what it is about the tuna i don't like tuna with a lot of other things and i don't love to have like a tuna steak let's say but like oh gosh, there's just yeah. something about like the tuna with the mango that just i really love yeah oh i love it but how did you start on your sushi journey do you remember the first time yes you had- oh i do <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I've been listening to the podcast and I was like anticipating all these questions. So I really thought about it. I was in college. It was 1999. Wow. I just moved to New York City and I had this roommate and she loves sushi. And I had never had it before. I was 18. I had never had it before. And she's like, well, why don't you just try the vegetable one? Because the idea of the raw fish like really grossed me out. She's like, just have the vegetable one. And I'm like, yeah, it's okay. And then over time, because in like kosher cuisine, like almost every kosher like takeout place has also sushi. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> so it's like a combination like, oh, there's pizza and there's sushi. Like, oh, there's like sandwiches and there's sushi. Like they just go together in the kosher world. So it became more and more common. And sometimes it was just like the only thing I could pick up. And after a while, I'm like, I really like it. I like that it's like not as big and bulky as a sandwich but that it's like it's light and especially the vegetable ones like Mm. it feels like you're actually chewing like it's substantial you know like a cucumber and carrot roll or cucumber avocado or something like that and it feels like you're really eating and I don't know it just it grew on me (laughs) (laughs) I love that you shared that but it's really literally the most common story that we've heard everyone who started sushi their sushi journey started with either california roll or something that doesn't have raw fish right because the idea of raw fish i mean if you were raised just like me in a moroccan family where we eat fish i mean we love fish in morocco is surrounded by water so there is fish every day you go through markets really fresh fish it's just but it has to be baked has to be in the oven right. so my father still thinks i'm absolutely crazy and he did something wrong in my upbringing because he <laughs> looked at me why are you eating raw fish that's just stupid how can I think you my dad thinks the same fish? thing <laughs> and it is if you were raised with it's either baked or in the oven or cooked or whatever but raw no and and he's sure. literally looking at me and thinking i cannot believe that you're putting that in your mouth and he still does <laughs> so i think it's very good to say that if you want to bring someone on your sushi adorning journey then have them either choose the california roll because it's the starter sushi right. or something with vegetables in it because that's absolutely amazing you know that's what i started my kids with sometimes they like it you know my daughter she's like me she could eat sushi all the time if we ordered sushi every night she'd be thrilled my boys less less yeah. so but yeah. still you know oh uh, i get it I've is got there three, growing, it's growing on them i've got three nieces the two youngest are I think about 16 months now the youngest is 16 months the other one is three years old 
They are California rule addicts. <laughs> If you put sushi in front of these two, they would leave anything else, whether it's French fries or anything else, and go for the sushi. I'm that's like, amazing. You're, you're following your aunt's footsteps. I've done a good <laughs> job. So that's absolutely amazing. So one of the things that I found very interesting in your introduction, I've been reading up a little bit about you, is you're all about decluttering the stuff. Now, and that really resonated with me because I've been told many years that I needed to declutter. I'm someone who hoards a lot of things, stuff, not okay. necessarily because I want to, but I'm just like, you never know when you're going to need it type of person. And as soon as the intelligent lockdown started here in the Netherlands, I went into massive declutter. I literally call it project massive declutter. Okay. I threw away 16 or 17 garbage bags. Wow. Good for you. I literally went through everything that I had with, am I ever going to look for this? No. Pfft. Am I ever going to use this? No. Pfft. Am I going to? No. no, no. Mm -hmm. So everything that I did, I've never looked at it. I've never searched for it. I've never wondered where it was. Gone. Exactly. Out of this realm. And you can see this is one of my bookcases. I've got two. Okay. Uh, the majority of these books are online being sold. Excellent. That's amazing. Good so, for you. How did you get started on this declutter challenge? That's a great question. Well, I have a degree in fashion design and I always love clothes. And when I was in high school, actually, I worked at The Gap and I used to have clients who would come in and be like, wow, you're so good at this. Can you do like all my shopping? Yeah. <laughs> and I'd be like, okay. And I realized in order to go shopping for someone, I had to sort of see what they already had. Yeah. So I would go to their houses, which looking back on it seems sort of ill-advised for like a high school teenager, right? But whatever, <laughs> I did it. You survived. I did it, yeah. So I went to people's houses and I cleared out all their closets. And then we made like a list of all the things that they needed and I went shopping for them. And, you know, I went off to college and I kind of did that like once in a while for friends or whatever, but nothing really. And then in 2012, I was working as a graphic designer and I read this book called Zero Waste Home. And I was also taking this class called Jewish Positive Thinking. And I mm -hmm. was like learning to like just think positively. And I read this book and I think to myself like, oh my gosh, I don't do anything good for the world. I don't make the world a better place. I make a product that like people use once and throw away. I'm not really helping anybody. And I don't want to do that anymore. I want to have a positive light in the world. I want to help people. I want to make the world a better place. Mm. And what I realized was that there are so many things happening in the world where people are doing things that are not good for the environment. So like fast fashion, for example, mm -hmm. and how we consume things in general is not good for the environment. And I just said like, I don't want to be a contributor to that consumption anymore. I don't want to continue to consume that much. And I want to help people have less because what I realized was you could actually live a better life if you had less stuff. And it took me a while to realize that, but I think For me, what was so eye-opening about it was just that, like, it doesn't make sense when you first think about it. Mm. Like, how could having less actually mean that you have more? Yeah. Right? Because it seems like, well, we need all these things to make us happy or we need all these things to make us more efficient. But we don't actually. And like the happiness has to come from within us. It's not that the things that we own that should be bringing us happiness, right? Like those things 
are external. And yeah, it's true. When you go out and you buy something, you get like a dopamine hit to your brain and you feel better, but it's not actually giving you like long-term happiness. What creates long-term happiness is having dinner with your nieces or your kids or your partner or going on a hike and remembering the amazing view. I like to look at nature, but I don't like to actually be in nature, but like, okay, that's a whole nother. (laughs) But like all these other things are what actually give us these happy feelings and endorphins and these great memories. And that's how we create goals and dreams. And like, it's not how many designer bags do I have? How many, you know, pairs of shoes do I have? How big is my closet? Is my closet bursting? People look at those as signs of success, but really, if you look at the most successful people, they actually wear the same thing every day. Correct. And I think that like, There's a lot to be learned from that. Like, okay, maybe very successful people have very large houses, but if you look at those very large houses, they're not full of stuff. They have carefully curated collections of things and they are living their best life. Now it's true they may have more money or whatever, but that doesn't mean that if you have less money, you can't live your best life with a carefully curated collection of things. Yeah, I think that when we can pare down and see what we actually have and enjoy the things we have and take the time to enjoy the things we have. When we have a wardrobe that we enjoy wearing, when we have objects that we love to use, like that makes our life great. There's a Jewish proverb that says more possessions, more worry. Yeah. And it's really true. The more you have to take care of, the more you worry about all the things you have to do. And why do you want to waste your time worrying about if everything is dusted. Yeah. Like yeah. what a crazy waste of time. Yeah. You know, yeah. I love that. And especially what I love about your story is that for you, it was a combination between helping others come up with the clothes that they would like so that it's in alignment with what they need, but also your Jewish positive thinking book that yeah. you read and those two connected for you and you discovered your purpose. You decided right. this is not how I want to live. So how do I create a world that I do want to live in? Or how do I create it for the next generations? To um, me, we, we always learned like you should leave the world a better place than how you got it. Yeah. And I couldn't figure out how to do that until I did these things in tandem, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, and I love that because, and I'm highlighting it specifically because there's a lot of information out there is you need to live your purpose. You need to know your purpose. And most of the people, it's my personal experience and the people that I've spoken to, it's clicked. And so at a certain moment in time, it wasn't like they were actively searching for it. It was going through life and then a couple of things joined and this is what I need to be doing. Right. And I love that. So it relieves the stress or the pressure of, oh my God, I don't have a purpose. How do I discover my purpose type of thing? It's funny because I actually think that everything happens to us for a reason. Nothing is a coincidence. And I think when you can look at that and see that and realize like, okay, the interaction that we're having right now, like Mm. there's a reason for it. It's not just that we're making a podcast episode. Like there's something that we are learning from each other and there's... And that's important. And every interaction that we have, oh no, I had a car accident. Oh no, like I broke a bottle in the supermarket. Whatever it is, it's like a chance for us to work on ourselves 
and make ourselves better and improve our relationship with the people and the things around us. And I think that it's frustrating. Okay. Let's say, God forbid, you just had a car accident, you know, like, Oh, you know, but I remember like I had a car accident. It was really, really minor. My kids were in the back seat. I could have yelled at the guy. I could have freaked out. I could have. And all I did was like, okay, we have a car accident. We're just going to pull over to the side of the road. I'm going to exchange information with the guy. We're going to check and make sure everybody's okay. And that was it. And it was an opportunity for me to, you know, show my kids how to react in a situation. And when I can approach it with those eyes on that set of glasses, you know, (laughs) you can manage the situation so much better. And actually what happens is, is okay, maybe you'll be irritated that you had a car accident, but like, it's not like the end of the world. Do you know where I mean? Where for some people it would be like, Oh, I had a car accident and blah, 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 blah. And like, that's the highlight of their life for the next three weeks. Well, for me, it's like, it doesn't have to be. And it's important that like, I can do this in a way where my kids like can come out of this interaction or even myself that I know that I acted with dignity and respect and that I didn't, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, I've always been an optimist. I I believe in possibilities. There's always a way. That's how I was raised. There was always a way. I mean, when we packed the car to go to Morocco for six weeks, believe me, we needed to pack all of our stuff (laughs) and the stuff for the family. So you become very resourceful in how you can pack a relative little car with a lot of stuff and still be able to sit in the back seat comfortably with the four of us traveling almost 3000 kilometers. So I've always had that. Okay. There is a way if we can pack all of this, there is a solution to almost everything. There is a way if you want to search for it. But for me, one of those click moments in history was also when I studied the science of happiness. And I learned that for our sustainable happiness, you know, that dopamine rush that you can also get from taking drugs or alcohol, whatever you want to consume that gives you going shopping, going shopping, whatever it is, (laughs) that's the one off and you soon adapt to that. So even if you're thinking now, Oh, I would love to have the newest Yves Saint Laurent back can't imagine what that thing looks like right now but even if you think and as soon as you've got it you're gonna have a lot of fun in the very first couple of hours maybe the first day but then you're used to the thing and it won't give you that sense of happiness and joy anymore so as soon as i learned that by studying the science of happiness that experiences are way more important than stuff i implemented in one way minimum and that is that i sent to my friends one i don't care about my birthday it's not that I'm afraid the bit of getting old. No, I mean, I am the age that I am and that's it. I mean, I accept that. But I don't like the whole birthday thing. It's just not me. Okay. I've never had that. It's just not me. But I've got friends who say, no, no, but we have to celebrate your birthday. And I'm like, okay, do me one favor. You don't have to. I don't expect it. I'm not going to be cross if you don't. But I don't want presents. And if you want to do something, you really feel compelled that you need to do something for me, then make it an experience. I'd rather have you take me out for sushi than give me stuff. Right. My best friend and I, we always used to get our nails done and go out to dinner. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we used to do. And it was my favorite way to spend my birthday. And it's like, it's so nice. And I have these really happy memories with her and like, it's our thing and it's our tradition and it's just a nice way to create and you talk and you connect And like, I think so many of us 
are missing the connection in our yeah. life, especially yeah. now when we're suffering through lockdowns and quarantines and it's hard. It's hard to connect with people and have those experiences now, but I still feel like now more than ever, we should try to have experiences. You know, maybe that's a Zoom call on my birthday. Maybe it's you sent me a card. Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe you sent me some sushi takeout for dinner, like whatever it is. And we're eating it together on Zoom. Exactly. Like, great. Like, yeah. You order yours, I order mine, and we eat together. Like, that's still an experience. And I guarantee you it will make you more happy than having 10 new Yves Saint Laurent bags. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So what are some of the things that you found that people are really challenged by when they go on the declutter journey? Sentimental items. Okay, so there's a few kinds of sentimental items. There are items that are sentimental to you. So like a college sweatshirt or your first pair of shoes or something like that. And then there are items that are sentimental to other people that you have. So for example, maybe they were one of your parents, like your mother's wedding dress or Mm. veil or something like that, or something that was used for like a religious service, but that Mm -hmm. you might not use anymore. So Mm -hmm. like a prayer book or something Mm -hmm. like that. Those are really, well, but it was my mom's prayer book. How can I get rid of it? Right? Like you can, it's okay. Like in Judaism, we have a special way to dispose of religious texts Mm -hmm. and uh, we bury them Mm -hmm. and it's okay to take it to the spot where they bury them and put it in the thing that needs to be buried because it's a book and it's paper and it only lasts for a certain amount of time and the pages fall apart and they rip it and they tear and like you can only repair things so many times and it's okay if you want to repair them and if you're actually using it but if you're not actually using that item then why are you keeping it and I think that it's these sentimental items that are just so hard for people the other thing about sentimental items is like Because people feel like they have space to store things, they're like, well, what's the difference? I'll just put it in a box and I'll store it and I'll leave it there. And in theory, that's fine. Like, why should it be a big deal if we have the space to store something and we store it, right? But like, think about it from like a global perspective, which is, let's say you live in a place let's just say that has floods or is Mm. prone to earthquakes or tornadoes or whatever. If you live in one of those places, it's very, very likely that your stuff can get damaged at some point. The less stuff you have, the easier it's going to be to pick up and reconstruct your life after one of these events. But even more regular than living in like a hot zone, what if you move? Yeah. Like, so what, you're going to pay to move all the stuff that you don't use and that you kind of don't really want most of the time. You're keeping it just because of the obligation. Yeah. So you're just going to pay to move it around from house to house. Like that seems like a big waste of money and resources. Like, why would you do that? Yeah. So space is like one excuse that we use for keeping things, but it's actually not a good reason to keep something. Yeah. And one of the things that I learned from Marie Diamond, who's one of the featured experts in the movie, The Secret, or the book, The Secret, whatever you've read. And she told me, she said, look, no, what most people do not realize is that holding on to stuff, if you look at success, however you define it, one third is determined by your environment. 
So she's also a Feng Shui master. So she does a lot of work in that area. She said, one third is determined by your environment. If it's cluttered, you will be cluttered in your mind and it will show up in your life. It will show up in your business. It will show up in your career. And even though you've got an item in the attic, your brain has a connection that says there's something in the attic. So even if you don't see it, it has impact on you. And the very first time she said to me, she said, look, if you've got all of those books and I asked, I said, I've got about 300 books. He said, reduce it to 40. And the very first time she said that to me, I was like, no, those are my books. I could care less that it was Marie Diamond I was saying no to. Because I'm like, you do not mess with my books. <laughs> and books are hard for a lot of people. I know. And it took me, I think about, and I saw her again in March this year, just before everything shut down at an event. And I had a conversation with her over lunch. And I heard her say that again, one third of your success, however you define it, it is dependent on your environment. And I thought, okay, Marie, now... I'm going to do this. I'm going to reduce that amount of books and clutter. And that was actually the trigger for my project of massive decluttering. Whatever your trigger is, that's good. But it's true. It's It's, 100% true. true. But the impact that it has had mentally on me is astounding. I feel so much lighter. I had no idea that I was holding on to the past, which was keeping me stuck. Right. That I didn't realize it, I didn't realize it until I threw those 16 to 17 garbage bags out of the door. It's like people feel after they've done a session with me, they feel like, I think the word is in general relief. Yes. They feel like lighter, freer. They feel more open. What I always say to people is when you let go of the things that brought you blessing in the past, Mm. you open the door for new blessing to come into you. And so it's like they can feel the new blessing coming in. And it's not unusual for my clients to either find money while we're working together Mm. or have large amounts of money come to them shortly after we work together. Yeah, Because I always look at We have this idea where, you know, God determines how much you earn in a year, right? Mm -hmm. So I always say it's sort of like your net worth. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're supposed to have $100,000 worth of net worth this year. Mm -hmm. Well, if you decide that you're going to let go of $45,000 worth of stuff, let's say, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then you have the space for all that to come back to you. Now, it might not come back to you in money. Maybe it's the house you've been dreaming of comes through, or maybe it's that new car that you really needed can come through. But when you clear the space and make room in your total list of assets for new and better things to come to you, you allow the space for new and better things to come to you. I have at least two clients who wanted to have babies. And once we worked together within a year, had babies. Wow. And the thing is about it is I said to them when we were working together, I'm like, let's say you got pregnant today. Mm. Or let's say you were nine months pregnant today. Where would you put this baby? Mm. Like you don't have room to accept this blessing. Mm. It might be something you really want, Mm. but you don't actually have the physical space to put it. So it's about creating this space to reach the level of success that we want to have, whatever the success is, Mm. if it's a new baby, if it's with work, but you need to have space. And I always say, and that goes back to what I was saying before is, Just because you have space in your life doesn't mean that every single square meter of space needs to be taken up because 
when you do that, you're not leaving room for anything new to come in. Oh, I love that. It's funny because, you know, Marie Kondo and the life-changing magic of tidying up. And now on Netflix, there's the home edit. Like all of these very popular organizers are out there, but they're all about like containing the stuff that you already have and less about letting go to make Mm. space. I don't necessarily ascribe to the idea that you need to go out and buy lots of containers to hold the stuff you have. Mm. Sometimes you do. I'm not saying you never need to do that, but like if you don't have a closet, okay, you need some place to hang your clothes. But like if you have one, you can make it work better for you if it's a little less full, right? But the thing is, is that a lot of other organizers, it's like, well, what can we do to make the space look more beautiful and pretty by going out and purchasing Mm. and it looks great but those systems are really hard for most people to maintain yeah if they just learn to consume less and have less not only will they be happier but it will take them less time to maintain Mm. these systems of organization which means that they can focus more on the people and the things that they love and when they try to let's say make sushi which is in my case, very was a foolish attempt. (laughs) (laughs) They'll have the time and they won't feel stressed out about that. They made this endeavor and and then it didn't quite work out. Exactly. Well, that's with everything new. It's going to feel extremely uncomfortable in the beginning, but we tried twice. It didn't work either time. You have to try uh, three three times this year. We'll try again. We'll try again. Three times this charm. So you've opened up the door to sushi again. <laughs> so now the question is, if you, your personality were a sushi, what would the ingredients be? So it's funny. I've been really thinking about this. <laughs> um, so if I was a sushi, I would definitely be brown rice because I'm definitely like leaning towards the more natural, the holistic, like it would definitely have a brown rice. It would probably be salmon avocado. Okay. And is it a roll? Is it a hand roll? It's an inside out roll. Maybe there's a little bit of sesame on the outside. Something, I think that it's good because it's like the avocado is soft and the salmon is like al dente. I don't don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that word. And it's like, I am a flexible person, but I also like, I'm going to stand tough and I'm going to guide you through the thing, through the process. Oh, I get that. You had no nonsense in your your description. I'm like, okay, I like that because (laughs) we got through every bullshit excuse that you had. No room for that. Right. Exactly. Room, room. And if I was to ask you the question, your business. Right. So that's a little bit harder to define. I think I'm not really sure because my business encompasses so many different parts of what I love and who I am. And I'm branching out a little bit because I can't go to people's houses right now. Mm -hmm. So what I realize is also sort of like my superpower is that I'm really good at helping people organize their small businesses, which I can do online with them. So I can take them through like a sequence of steps to help them automate and streamline their businesses so that they're working smarter, not harder. So I guess if I was to have to classify my business as a sushi, like it would probably actually be like, oh gosh, I'm going to get the name wrong. Okay. It's like the nigiri, right? Where it's like 
a rice yep. ball yep. with this piece of fish on top, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's what it would probably be. Like it's streamlined. It's simple. Like it's just that. And it doesn't matter. I could be salmon. I could be tuna, whatever you want. I don't care. Like it could be a little more thick. It could be a little more thin. Like I can be flexible with you, but it's a simple, it's a streamline. It's like a clean process, you know? Ooh, like that's uh, how I think about it. A chameleon sushi. Yeah. <laughs> it turns into whatever you need. Whatever you need. I can be that for you. I'm a rock star. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. So <laughs> as we wrap up, what are some of the things that you really want people to get? What are your golden top three tips, for example? Okay. So the first thing is you should always be working smarter, not harder. Look for the ways that you can reduce and streamline your processes, both in your home life and your business life, so that you know you don't have to work so hard because you don't have to work hard. Like you don't have to be hustling all the time. You can put in effort. You should put in effort, but like you can trust that like the universe, God, whatever you believe in is going to bring you whatever you need. That's number one. Number two is when you have less, you actually have more. So if you are able to work in an area that's clean, where you can think someplace that brings you joy, like it's going to make it easier for you to function in your day-to-day life because you're going to get distracted less by, oh gosh, I got to put the laundry in or, oh gosh, like I'm just going to tidy up over here and then I'll get back to work. Cause there's always going to be some excuse, mm. especially when you have a task that's onerous to you, where you you know, you want to put it to the side if you allow your space to have those excuses. So when you can clear your space a little bit better, then you'll have less excuses. And finally, I think that the best advice that I could give anybody is be kind to yourself because this is a marathon, not a sprint. It's a journey. Like that's why I call my podcast journey to organization. Like it's a journey. We're on this road. Even I can always be doing better, right? Like even Marie Kondo, even the home edit, they can all be doing better. We can always take it one step further and we can't get angry or upset or despondent about where we are on the journey. Mm. Because if we are, then we'll end up sliding backwards instead of moving forwards. And the goal is always to be getting to our destination and getting to the place where we were meant to be. And we can't do that if we are not kind to ourselves. I love that. What better way to end this podcast with kindness? So if someone's listening to this podcast, and I'm sure they will, and they're thinking, oh, I want to know more, how can they get in touch with you, Rebecca? Okay, so you can head to my website, which is balaganbegone.com. Balagan is the Hebrew word for chaos or mess, and that's B-A-L-A-G-A-N. And they can reach me at Rebecca at balaganbegone.com. And there they can go and set up a consultation and it's totally free. And I'm happy to see how I can help anyone on their journey. And I think the most important thing to remember is that it's not a waste of time ever to make a consultation with any professional Mm. because even if they're not the right professional to help you, Mm. if they're offering you their time, take their time because if they're not the right one for you, they'll know who is. Yeah. And they'll yeah. be able to guide you and maybe they'll even learn something from you. And I, I never feel like anybody's wasting my time by booking a consultation, even if they don't plan on working with me. Maybe they're not the right fit for me right now, but maybe they will be down the line. Yeah. Maybe just what I can say into them in 30 minutes is helpful. So yeah. I'm always like, yes, please book a consultation because 
you know, there's always something that is good from that interaction. Yeah. And then you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at balagambigan.com or at Balagan, Begon. And you can check out my podcast, Journey to Organization. It's awesome, awesome. All places podcasts are. Yay. Cool, cool, cool. I love that you said the time spent on a consultation call is always valuable because time is the most valuable asset, let's be honest. So when you offer... 30 minutes of your time, you want to make that valuable, no matter the result, no matter the, whether right. you're going to make, if that call is designed to see if there is a fit, if you resonate with another human being, right. but it's also designed to provide you with value. Even if exactly. the result is we're not going to work together today or tomorrow, or even never. Or ever, right. So I think that's a very good thing to highlight at the end of our time together today is that remember time is the most valuable asset. We don't want you to waste your time and we don't want to waste ours. So make the most of every minute, every second, every hour that you spent. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. I've learned loads about organization and stuff. I'm so glad. So thank you. And for those of you that are listening, thank you for listening to another episode of the Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast. We would love to know what has been your biggest takeaway from the conversation with Rebecca. Do take a moment and share this with us. We'd love to hear from you in our Facebook group, the Entrepreneur Sushi Club. You will find the link to this group in the description of this episode. And if you know someone who will benefit from listening to this episode, please do share it with them. You never know the impact you can make. For now, have fun and see you on the next one.